Hello and welcome to this episode of A World to Win, a podcast from Tribune magazine. I'm Grace Blakely, bringing you your weekly dose of socialist news, theory and action from around the world. This week, I talked to Ben Smoke, one of the members of the Stansted 15, a group of activists who stopped a mass deportation flight from taking off from Stansted Airport in 2017 before being tried under law designed to prosecute terrorists. We discussed the details of the protest and the trial, how to put together a good direct action, the government's barbaric approach to migration policy, and why successive Tory governments seem so adept at breaking international human rights law. Thanks so much to all our amazing patrons who make the show possible. If you wanted the full hour-long episode of this show, as well as full-length interviews with previous guests like Naomi Klein, Dr. Cornell West, and Jeremy Corbyn, support us at patreon.com slash aworldtowinpod. There's a link in the description. If you want to support the show in another way, please give us a rating on iTunes that helps us stay up in the charts uh, and share your favourite episodes on social media, tagging at a world to win pod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Another big thank you to the Reverend and the Makers who've let us use their track Heavyweight Champion of the World as our intro and outro music. And now here is Ben Smoke on the trial of the Stansted 15. Hello, Ben Smoke, and thank you so much for joining me on this episode of A World to Win. How are you? Hi, thanks so much for having me. I am oh, I'm relieved. I'm so relieved. I'm ecstatic and happy and very energetic. Uh, I had my first unbroken night's sleep for a very long time last night. So, yeah, oh, feeling that's, good. That's fantastic. That's really good to hear. And how is everyone else feeling? The group must be generally kind of relieved and happy and, yeah, ecstatic. Yeah, I think so. I think it's taken some time to to kind of properly sink in. I know for me particularly, like I've kind of I didn't really kind of get to like realizing that we'd actually won until like Saturday night, Sunday morning. So I think everyone's sort of taking it steady. But yeah, obviously throughout general relief. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know all the background to this, um, Ben and the rest of the Stansted 15 have just been cleared of uh, the charges they were initially tried under after they attempted to stop a deportation flight. And we're going to talk all about the whole saga from beginning to end on this show. So if you haven't yet read about it, you should be familiar with this by the end. But I just want to start at the very beginning, Ben. Tell us about how the group got together and why you decided you need to take action to prevent this particular flight from taking off. So the Stanza 15 is kind of a group of of, very, of people from various different parts of the movement. So for myself, I helped set up a group called Lesbians and Gays Support the Migrants uh, in August 2015. And that uh, if you've seen the film Pride, then you kind of know it, it's in the, the vein of lesbians and gay support the minors in the mm. 1980s. So we set that up kind of at the height of the migrant crisis um, at the time. And obviously 2015 is when over a million people made the very, very dangerous crossing across the Mediterranean to get into Europe. It was the same year that, uh, and unfortunately, like thousands of people died. It was the same year that David Cameron talked about a swarm. It was the same year that Katie Hopkins talked about sending warships into the Mediterranean. It was a, a crap time. <laughs> mm. And uh, it suddenly kind of got crapper. But we kind of set it up to try and... Obviously, there was the jungle camp in Calais as well. And we kind of set it up to start doing some actual solidarity and yeah. some kind of try and raise some money and some awareness and 
undermine some of the myths and some of the the things that are kind of propagated, particularly by the far right around people coming to this country and being anti-women and anti-gay. If you remember, there was a kind of, there's been like lots of that from, from mm. people like Tommy Robinson and the EDL um, back in the day. And so that is sort of how I got into, into, that's how I started beginning to organise a lot around migrant rights. And from there, we did lots of different actions. And there was one where we like bled outside of the home office on the day of the immigration bill 2016 going through we glitter bombed Serco who are the headquarters mm. who the headquarters of Serco Serco are the company one of the private security companies that's involved in running different detention centers and we were kind of doing this and and it, well, it felt good but as we were also we were also fundraising and we put on a, a community event called Peck and Pride in 2016 and 2017 alongside and led by some incredible migrant organisers and people that had been at the sharpest edges of the hostile environment for years. And it kind of got to a point where it was like, well, we're doing all of this and actually what's changing? It feels like we need to do something else. We need to somehow find a way of sort of intervening. And then in the run up to... Uh, March 2017 we got information about some of the people that were supposed to be on that flight including a Nigerian lesbian woman who had in Nigeria she'd been forced into a marriage had children escaped come here come out lived was living a, a free life as as a true self um, has her children were with her sister she was sending money back to support them she was due to be deported and a couple of days before that her ex-husband got in touch and said I know you're coming I'm going to be waiting for you and I'm going to kill you and she said she was she gave a statement to an amazing group called Detained Voices who speak to lots of people in detention and who are due to be deported and tell their stories and publish their stories these are stories that obviously would never have otherwise been told and so this woman spoke to someone from Detained Voices and she said I'm I'm begging Who's going to look after my children if I die? Please, they deserve a life. I am begging. And so that was kind of the very, very like just before we did the action. But obviously we kind of known that there were there were going to be people on that flight that were going to be vulnerable. So throughout January and February of that year, between different people, and we sort of came together in January to say, yeah, this is something that we should be thinking about doing. And then we planned it and then. A couple of days before the action, hearing that testimony, we decided that we had no other option. We had to do it. And so, yeah, and then we did it. So how did the plan actually come together to stop the flight? What did you want to achieve and how did you go about putting that direct action together in a way that was going to kind of maximise its visibility and chances of success? So we had, I came from kind of like lesbians and gay support, the migrants route. So our direct action experience was limited to glitter mostly and um, dancing. And so we <laughs> had people who'd been involved in sort of Grow Heathrow and the Heathrow action in 2015, which if you remember, is basically when 13 people gained access to the runway at Heathrow to protest the third runway. 
And so they were sort of like much more knowledgeable about this than us. And we spent hours, literally hours and hours and days and days and days in conversation with each other about the best way to do this and various different options of doing this and how we can do it safest. And I think that that's, I mean, we'll kind of come on to Mm. what happened later with the charge and stuff, but I have spent so so many, many, many days in like health and safety conversations around this action. And we did sort of recce's, we went up, we discounted various different options because of like flight frequency or distance from the fence or whatever it was. And so the plan sort of came together and it was again that that day that we heard the testimony the I am begging testimony was the day that we kind of nailed it down and said yeah this is how we should do it and so yeah it was kind of a lot of expertise and a lot of time uh, that I both of which I can't unfortunately take much credit for uh, but I was I was there to sing so that was good the main thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think what you just said is really, really important for people to hear because like, I think a lot of maybe like less experienced activists think you could just do a direct action because that's, you know, what makes it a direct action. And there have been some recent controversies about um, direct actions taken by some groups, like for example, Extinction Rebellion in Canning Town, where there's, there was this kind of question about what are you trying to achieve here? Like what kind of light are you trying to paint this movement in, et cetera? And yours was obviously an example of a pretty successful direct action, both in terms of what it actually achieved and in terms of the wider kind of um, ideological impact. What lessons do you think that other activists can learn from your experience? I think you're right in in terms of there have been a few howlers recently. And I think I'd also like to say that I've definitely been involved in howlers myself. And Mm -hmm. I know that all of the 15 have. And we spent literally hours like, agonizing over whether what we were doing was the right thing Mm. Um, and talking to various different people in various different groups talking to migrants in Yarlswood Mm. talking to various different people that had already been deported and you know not sort of specifically saying do you think we should do this because (laughs) (laughs) it's operational security Uh, but (laughs) kind of just getting a sense of like what what is the most important thing and what how can we be helpful and so I think in terms of like material, like kind of very practical takeaways, I think agonize. It sounds mm. stupid. And obviously, before you do an, before you do a, a direct action anyway, you have the nerves and the anxiety and the adrenaline. But kind of really, particularly if you're not of the group that you're kind of talking yeah. about or for or in favor of, then I really think like agonize talk and listen um and seek out people that have done it before for their tips i think you know all all direct actions are different and they all kind of look and feel different but some things Mm. remain the same and i think you know expect the unexpected plan you know all of the things that i'm basically quite bad at which is sort of thinking (laughs) of consequences and (laughs) planning (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> are all, all the things that it takes to do a successful direct action <laughs> I mean you did an amazing job I was gonna say like when you were when you were saying that you're like yes it's obviously true you have to agonize you have to go over things over and over and over again and make sure you've thought of it from every different perspective but you've also and this is something that again I know as your friend you kind of maybe haven't done as much of is look after yourself yeah. as well like during and after 
that action took place. And I'm wondering how you guys have kind of been looking after yourselves and also looking out for each other. Yeah, no, you're, yeah, <laughs> I think <laughs> everybody, <laughs> everybody yeah. would definitely agree with that assessment. <laughs> um, I think it's important. And I, I, I think, I mean, my, my friend the other day texted me, uh, was because we had a wait of like um four or five days to find out what the appeal mm. verdict was, and my friend just completely off the bat texted me saying, "Are we just we're just gonna overwork and overdrink ourselves this week as a coping <laughs> mechanism?" And I was like, "I, yeah, 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 that, <laughs> yeah. I've got nothing else." Fair <laughs> but yeah, I think it's so important, and I think in terms of sort of the wider movement, which. I don't know, yeah, I'm not sure how exactly helpful it is to kind of keep talking in those terms. But if you're somebody that is going to be doing direct action, and if you're somebody that wants to be doing successful direct action, doing that, and there's a lot of debate around this at the moment, but I very much stand by the fact that you cannot be useful in prison. And Mm. you can't be useful if you spend your whole time in bed crying, which I also (laughs) love. Um, so yeah, I think in terms of sort of the, the, the run up to it, we were really great at looking out for each other. We spent the day at a, um, at a farm. So I'm just remembering how I described the farm when I was on the dock. <laughs> I couldn't remember where it was. So I said it was West of Notting Hill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Classic <laughs> London metropolitan elite answer. <laughs> I couldn't remember. I knew it was like outside, <laughs> but um, yeah. And uh, anytime I now try and describe that, who anybody in the knowledge just kind of looks at me and laughs. But we we yeah, basically in in the run up to it, we had this really nice kind of um, day where we were practicing and obviously making sure it was safe, but also checking in with each other. And then the direct aftermath of it, again, it was very sort of like we were riding high and checking in and I think yeah, we were 15 very very different people that came together to do an action that was necessary and important and we expected it to go a certain way afterwards we expected there to be certain charges brought we expected a certain time limit and that obviously <laughs> it went on for much longer and mm. that's difficult and you know I think everybody in the the 15 will, will happily admit that there have been times when it's kind of felt impossible to bring this disparate group of people together and I think we've got better at at being there for each other and and checking in and and stuff but yeah it's been it's been hard it's been hard hard work but on the other side of that you know you've achieved something pretty incredible because 11 of the 60 people who are going to be deported now live legally in the UK have you had any contact with any of these people yeah, so we're in contact with a couple of them, and I know that one of them is was around to see the birth of his child oh. because of the action, which is kind of incredible. And another one who I didn't actually know I was going to meet her. Um, I've had this weird thing about it, and like the the other some of the other fifteen have been much better um, at mm. being in contact and supporting you know they've put in a huge amount of work into that I was a bit sort of hesitant because I I'm not very good when people give me compliments as it is so (laughs) to have somebody kind of sitting there being like thank you so much for doing this it felt weird and it Mm. felt 
uncomfortable and I didn't really want to deal with that so (laughs) I didn't (laughs) um I just sort of didn't want to yeah I didn't want anyone to be like thank you for what you did because it was it was just like obviously obviously you do that that just it makes sense but anyway so I at one of the 15s birthday parties a couple of years ago I went there and we were having a lovely time and he went oh I've got someone like you to meet Uh, and I was like sick a lad, finally. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he's hot. Uh, <laughs> um, but it was it was one of the people that was supposed to be on the plane, and it was, oh man, yeah. Like I I held it together for a solid, oh. I'd say, ninety seconds, <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, I'm just gonna go get myself a drink, and I went and cried in the room that had all the cocktails oh. in. Uh, but she's now, as far as I know, she's now working as a nurse. Which oh wow is just yeah like incredible and um obviously I think that I don't want to kind of get I'm very very wary of getting into the kind of good migrant by a bad migrant mm. you know like oh she's doing something worthy now therefore she should have stayed like it, it doesn't really matter whether you're kind of what she's doing now um she had the right but I, it's just I think the 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 endless hate that we get and the endless sort of headlines around saving murderers and rapists and, and mm. all of this, which is nonsense um, it's interesting as well that the media coverage i mean when you look up the stuff around the stand 715 it is obviously all centered on you guys but there has it seems been less of an attempt to really figure out who these people were what the government had done wrong and why 11 of them are still here when clearly they shouldn't have been deported in the first place which i thought was quite interesting it tells you a couple of things doesn't it um i think firstly it tells you everything you need to know about the agenda of the mainstream media within this kind of area, the way in which, you know, they sort of fuel this mass hysteria around immigration and anything kind of attached or adjacent to that, their complete and utter inability to be able to report or kind of interrogate in anything approaching in an objective way is almost laughable mm. and so it's yeah it, it kind of it's it's infuriating it's absolutely infuriating I'm not going to try and like borrow it up to be something it's not like I sat here like absolutely beside myself with anger at various different points in this process just being like why are you doing this why mm. are you choosing to report on this part of it but actually you know part of it is just kind of to be expected Particularly when you've got people like Priti Patel or Sajid Javid yeah. or Amber Rudd who are, you know, propagating the most heinous nonsense and they know better. You know, fundamentally, mm. they have a, a raft of, of advisors around them that can tell them that what they're saying is patently nonsense. The, like the stuff around sending asylum seekers back to the first country that they came from, there's no legal, there is absolutely no legal impetus upon people to seek asylum in the first state mm. they come to under under the various different conventions so run and tell that frankly it's just like it's just fury, infuriating in like absolutely infuriating so yeah I mean we can't really expect anything better and the centering of us I think is really tricky and we it's something we've really agonized over because mm. like we are 15 majority white people I'd say majority middle class. I think I'm the only person 
that I'm aware of in the 15 that doesn't have a degree, for example. And if we'd have been, if we'd have looked differently, if we'd have been 15 young black men, then we wouldn't have even, you know, had, we wouldn't have even been out on remand, you know, the, the, the mm. case would have been thrown away so quickly. And so, you know, the, the position that we're coming at it from is, is an incredibly privileged one. And that's the reason, that's part of the reason why people are so, were so outraged and angry when yeah. we were convicted. It was like, oh my God, these people, they're not. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, we, we obviously don't want to add to that uh, as a conversation and be like, yes, well, there are, there are good criminals and there are bad criminals and there are good <laughs> terrorists and bad terrorists. <laughs> but also it's like, okay, we have the media's attention mm-hmm. and the, the state of the discourse and the state of the conversation at the moment is so abhorrent and it's so just awful um that being able to utilize it just for a second to say okay yeah yeah let's talk about yes very sad that we might go to prison also there are 11 people still in the country and do not think that that raises some quite Mm. valid questions about the whole system of deportation charter flights if 20 percent of the people on one standard flight on one random night are still here four years later through the courts does that not mean that maybe if we extrapolate that number out there have been thousands perhaps tens of thousands of people wrongly deported under the and we're talking about within the realms of the very draconian immigration legislation that we have let alone if we actually saw the enforcement of various different rights that people had so yeah I think it's been infuriating and upsetting and uncomfortable at times like really really uncomfortable to have been the focus of it but I think you kind of have to just sort of take it take the landscape as it lays right now and as it lays right now the best way to the best way to try and like force some of that conversation that we had at that very that moment in time was to utilize the the empathy that people had for us and to try and direct that towards other people yeah, and I think, you know, you did a, an excellent job of that, especially you, given, like, all the media and stuff that you did. So now I want to talk about the trial. You were initially tried for aggressive trespass, but then the CPS tried to up the severity and charge you under the Aviation and Maritime Security Act 1990, which was passed in response to the Lockerbie bombing. And the group was convicted by a jury on those charges in 2018. How did you feel after that verdict? Were you surprised? Like, were you surprised that the CPS even tried to try you under those charges to begin with? Was your lawyer surprised? So we, when we first, as you said, we, we first got charged with uh, aggravated trespass and criminal damage. And mm. when we were first sort of going through the legal process, it all looked like it was sort of progressing as we would have expected. And then just before Glastonbury 2017, we got an email through being like, they're thinking of changing your charges to this terror charge. And I was just, I just remember seeing that, reading the email and laughing because it's just so patently stupid. <laughs> like, what? Why are they doing that? What haven't they got? Have I got like jobs to be doing? And so it was, it was funny. I just like distinctly remember running around Glastonbury at some horrendous hours shouting, I'm a terrorist. Fucking <laughs> uh, <laughs> hell. <laughs> um with with to to be fair to all of my friends all of my friends saying pen stop it um <laughs> they drag me back to whatever stupid tent we were in at the time um, but then yeah so it was it was like it was funny 
it was a joke because it's so absurd to even think that this would be happening that why would I take it seriously and then I was at Latitude a couple of weeks I don't know why all of these stories are around festivals but um, <laughs> that's how I remember them I was the at Latitude days couple... where we could go to festivals oh god do you remember human contact <laughs> oh my god it was so good <laughs> um so I was at Latitude and I was sort of waiting there and we got the news through that the the dicey judgment so basically these two people one of whom if I remember correctly was a vicar had gone in and smashed up a warplane um <laughs> and <laughs> had then basically uh, pled necessity and had been successful in using necessity so saying that it was necessary for them to have done that to have stopped a greater crime happening and mm. the prosecution appealed that and it went to the court of appeal and the court of appeal were like hmm no <laughs> <laughs> no 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 you can't just be running around smashing up warplanes and so we were obviously sort of very tuned into that because it was kind of like had a real big bearing on our case so I was mm. at latitude got that news through and was like oh no and so went on a bit of a a mad one came, <laughs> came back on the, the Tuesday I think it was I think I didn't make it home on the Monday <laughs> <laughs> it was literally just sat there I'd like just got in kind of put all my clothes in the wash, had a bath that, yeah, released the most disgusting water you've ever seen, and then got an email <laughs> being like, you are officially being charged under terror charges. And I was like, oh, mate, <laughs> could you oh, not have mate. waited a week? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was then, it suddenly became, it suddenly went quite quickly from being a joke to, holy shit, we... Mm. Are being charged with something which has a maximum life imprisonment and then kind of cut to the end of a very long 10-week trial during which yeah I mean it was just horrendous like it was probably not a huge surprise to everybody but Mm. being on trial is it's just not fun just unrelenting stress and horror for 10 very long weeks Mm. with some sort of light relief in the middle I think me going up on the stand to give my evidence first was it was certainly a choice (laughs) that we made (laughs) Um, I forgot how many people were in the stand sort of 15 at one point so that was good Um, (laughs) um, uh, I just remember looking out and seeing my barrister look at me like oh god here he goes (laughs) Um, only you could manage to make that situation into something like vaguely amusing (laughs) (laughs) it was the day as well all the press were there so I was just like just behind me was the press gallery and I kind of looked around to see them all there just looking like their faces looking up at me like this guy (laughs) (laughs) what's his this guy represents everything we hate (laughs) (laughs) and so yeah when the day we were convicted i guess kind of coming off the back of that i probably should have predicted it (laughs) (laughs) i would convict a man that didn't know how many people were in the stanford 15 (laughs) (laughs) but um it was kind of we'd been waiting so long and when you when you the jury can go out in these things and then the wild speculation starts about when they're going to come back. And Mm. so they went out on the Thursday afternoon, late on Thursday afternoon. And we got the verdict first thing on the Monday morning. Obviously we had the weekend as well, which they weren't sitting on. So it was, it was a very long, (laughs) 
arduous, stressful yeah. time. And I was just, I remember I was sat there, <laughs> I was sat in the court waiting room writing an article about Brexit, of all things, <laughs> um, trying to distract myself. And then we got the call through saying there's a verdict. And I was like, I, I was listening to some crap on my headphones and um, I like unhooked them like, what? And Eddie, who's one of the other 15, said, there's a verdict. And I was like, oh. And I just kind of left my body for a bit. I uh, saw myself walking into the dock and suddenly there were cops everywhere and security guards, which I was like, oh, <laughs> rot row. <laughs> I didn't even get the chance to say goodbye. Um, and then I think one of our barristers must have seen the look of terror and horror on my face. And he said, it's fine. They always have security and police for a verdict. So I was like, mm. it's fine. We're going to win then. It's going to be fine. Maybe we've lost. <laughs> oh God, we lost? No, we've won. No, it's fine. So it was like wildly oscillating. The jury, the foreman of the jury stood up. He had a, a shark on his t-shirt that day, which <laughs> emblazoned in his head. <laughs> There's another woman on the jury who had a t-shirt that said, kindness is my superpower. Oh my God. Wow. Let's know it was not. <laughs> that is, that is so, that's very Karen. It was. I like, presume that she was a good example of a Karen. Truly, truly. If if yeah. one were to draw one, it would be her. <laughs> but they said, I remember they, because they, I was second on the list. So they, they read out Eddie's name first and they said guilty. And I was like, what? <laughs> hmm? You, you, what now? And mm. I just sort of went, my ears, sort of, you know, like in the films when a bomb goes off. Yeah. And just everything is silent. I kind of did that for about four defendants. So I never actually heard them say Ben Smoke guilty. So maybe I wasn't. Um. <laughs> I think that's what your lawyer was there for. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. He probably would have told me that actually. You're right. Um, so yeah, when it was just sort of like a bomb went off and then kind of going directly into panic and like, oh, mm. shit, are we going to be sent down immediately? I was like, I haven't even got any spare boxes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, how am I going to charge my phone? And I was like, wait, I can't charge my phone. You can't have it. And the day I found out that you didn't have Wi-Fi in prison was a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next campaign. <laughs> truly, truly. I was like, Raj, how am I supposed to... Raj is our solicitor, um, who is in a, a man of of incredible optimism and patience <laughs> having to deal with me for four years. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, Raj, how am I going to tweet from prison then? And he just sort of looked at me and walked away. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, oh my God. yeah, and then we kind of, uh, we went, we went into this tiny little side room that we'd been having all of our little conferences in, which I called the room of doom because it was a tiny, like the smallest little room. And there were 15 of us and 11 of our lawyers in this room that could like comfortably fit about four. Oh God. We'd, we'd like squeeze in there. So we were all squeezed in there after this, after being told we were guilty. And the, the judge said, I'm not going to send you to prison today, but it's on the table. I was like, all right, cool. So went in there and just did a big old cry. I think I, I text my family WhatsApp, like we're guilty. And then put my phone down for like three hours. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I was in so much trouble. <laughs> Your poor my, um yeah no no beef I was that was bad on my part um she, she when I finally rung her she was just in hysterics as you would be yeah um, I was like, I'm sorry I was in a meeting and then I had to write a piece and uh, blah, 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 it all went mad and it was just yeah um, a kind of media hellstorm 
the like of which I've never experienced before, which kind of set me up quite well, I think, for the the next couple that came along. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was sort of just just insane, absolutely insane, like unspeakably demented. <laughs> Why? Okay, so this is just like such a broad question. And in many ways, you know, it's going to be difficult to answer because there are obviously all sorts of things that are playing into this decision. But why did they try to try you on such shaky grounds just to get a harsher punishment? Do you think this was about setting a precedent? Do you think it was about the media response? Like, what was the motivation behind this decision? Firstly, I think there's big, big questions to answer for Jeremy Wright, QC MP, who was the attorney general at the time and who made the decision. So it was such such a severe charge that the attorney general had to give his consent. So it went up to a cabinet level decision. There were big, big questions to be asked, as I said, around that. But I think from, and obviously I'm speculating here, but what I would say is, yeah, you're right. I think they're trying to make an example of us. They were trying to set a precedent mainly in terms of a social precedent rather than a legal one, because you don't set a precedent at the Crown Court. Uh, But they were very much trying to sort of say, if you screw with the immigration system, if you intervene, if you try and do this, we will throw everything we have at you. And I think that what's interesting to compare, perhaps, is the difference between the Heathrow 13 action in 2015 or maybe it was slightly earlier, whenever it was around then, and the Stansted action that I was in in 2017. And we were on a remote part of the airfield. We were a long way away from the runway. Uh, We never got close to it. We never got close to the main terminal. It was a bit where they, they do the processing, as they call it, of people being deported is kind of a mile away from the main terminal at Stansted Airport. So... We were nowhere near anybody. We just cut through just just cut through a tiny little fence, one little <laughs> walk, <laughs> and lied around. You know, it's very very specifically this one plane, this one flight that we wanted to intervene in. Whereas at Heathrow, you know, the thirteen of them did an incredible thing and and you know really really raised awareness of what was going on there and and the the climate impact of a third runway which which mustn't be built but they went and sat on a runway <laughs> like they had to ring them and say but oh, by the way we're here yo mm. they did it they obviously did a lot of research I'm, I'm very much underplaying it they did a lot of research and they knew that there wasn't going to be any planes landing but they had mm. to sort of alert the airport authorities though that runway was shut down for a very long time because of it and so yeah in terms of like the actual the scale of the the demonstration that one was much bigger I think, mm. than ours and yet we were the ones they were they were charged with aggravated trespass and convicted of it and we obviously assumed that that was where we were going to go and then when they said oh we're gonna do this terrorism thing I was like what nothing like that has ever been done and I think that the only you know the, the material difference is is that they were attacking climate change and we were mm. exposing these brutal and the secretive flights that go in the middle of the night and you know, deport people en masse, Ill- often illegally, mm. in ways that, I mean, you can't really even bear imagining the kind of horror and torture and violence on these flights. 
almost like you exposed the fact that the government was basically breaking the law. So they had to use the full force of the law against you because they themselves were on such shaky ground with regards to the deportations anyway. Yeah, 100%. I mean, they've been caught like with their dicks out and so to speak <laughs> yes yeah so it's maybe not my most eloquent <laughs> um, yeah but they'd um yeah they'd been caught doing something that i think yeah for as much as we talk about this country being hell state as much as we talk about the xenophobia and the racism that runs like a ugly sore throughout society and it absolutely is there and the impact that it has on people's lives is horrendous. I actually do think that the majority of these people of people in this country, if you said to them, do you think that we should violently <laughs> deport this woman who has been trafficked and mm. will be re-trafficked? Do you think that we should we should violently deport this this lesbian woman who is going to be murdered by her husband? Do you think that we should throw this man who has been tortured into a, a solitary confinement cell, they'll be like, no, that's horrible. And it is, it is horrible. And so the government very much mask it by whipping up your kind of hatred and mm. uh, hysteria around it and talking about foreign national, these criminal flights that they're going, you know, we're getting rid of the most serious offenders, which is just bollocks um, because they're not, A. Eh? They've been deporting people that have had driving offences or have been caught with weed. Yeah. Yo, chill out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hopes amongst us is not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't drive. So. <laughs> you <know what> I mean? <laughs> You're safe. But, yeah. yeah. And obviously I had never inhaled. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they're sort of, they, they do it, they whip it up. Um, in order to get people angry you know what, yeah. we're trying to get rid of these these murderers they're gonna come they're gonna get your family they're gonna get you you know they're the reason that there's all of these problems in society there's the reason why there's, there's all of this poverty there's the reason why there's all of this crime there's the reason why there's all of this degradation in society is because they're letting rapists and murderers out onto the streets and they're not stopping it and like obviously people are mad about that they're really really mad but when you sort of break it down and say, well, hold on a second, actually 11 people haven't been deported and of those there was a victim of trafficking and the blah, 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 blah. And you start to actually explain it to people. People are like, oh yeah, you're right. That's terrible. And so I think that that's what, partly what happened with the, with the case. Um, and they kind of shot themselves in the foot, right? Because yeah, they gave us so much bigger platform by charging us as terrorists. Mm. Then if they'd have just said, okay, well, let's just let's just do an aggravated trespass charge mm. and put it into the magistrates, because suddenly everybody was interested. And you've got Amnesty International yeah. there and and you know, we've had big demos outside of the home office in support of us and you know, members of the Shadow Cabinet and, and that wouldn't have happened otherwise. So mm. Yeah. I mean, on that point, like Amnesty International had been there because there was this concern that the trial was designed to kind of discourage people from protesting. Amnesty also said it was like a crushing blow for human rights in the UK when the conviction was delivered. But this isn't by any means the first time a Tory government has been accused recently of human rights abuses. The UN Special Rapporteur on Extreme Poverty accused um, the government of breaching the human rights of disabled people. The UN Special Rapporteur on Adequate Housing accused the government of failing to uphold the human rights adequate housing. 
why and this is another big question but i'm gonna just let you take this in whatever direction you like why do you think this government seems to uh just so enjoy breaching international human rights law (laughs) um i mean firstly it's good to have a hobby isn't it (laughs) i wouldn't want to take that away from them uh i think in all seriousness i think this government, as much as we paint Boris Johnson as this sort of this bumbling idiot, which he is, you know, we can see that from the the horror show of the response to coronavirus. Yeah. He, and maybe not he, but people around him, people in his cabinet, people in his kind of advisory team have a very specific direction they would like to take the country in. And that absolutely is not one that fits into a kind of broader set of rights and um, freedoms because to them, I think kind of profit is sacrosanct. They want to make money. They want people to be able to make money. They don't want the government to be particularly involved. They don't, they don't want they, and they, the way that they get that. And so I think that's kind of like the starting point, a very, very base, basic starting point that you absolutely would be able to explain far better than I ever could. But um, I think that, in order to do that, that obviously means stripping back things that people rely on and people need. Mm. need. And so when you start to do that, people are obviously like, well, hold on a second. No, actually, I do need to live on that money or I do actually need to access the NHS and stuff like this. And, and so in order to, to kind of circumvent those conversations, the government have very, very successfully whipped up this um, kind of moral panic around various different things including immigration being kind of their their star child in this but you know more and more recently around protesters as well and so they've kind of done this this thing where they now everything that happens they just sort of buy it off as someone else's thing and then what they've managed just to kind of successfully translate the hysteria that was whipped up around Brexit and continue to be whipped up in you know the rounds and rounds and rounds of discussion and legislation and, and deals that came after it and the, the hype that it got and they've kind of managed to do that and say well you know all of these these are the these are the baddies these are the people that are coming these are the people that have impacted your opportunity that have impacted your ability to be able to live a life that isn't in poverty your ability to be able to get a house and and all of that. And so it's not necessarily even that I think that they seek to breach human rights. I think that they don't like them. And um, Tories, you know, don't particularly, modern Tories don't particularly like them. Um, you know, Theresa May has been yabbering on about getting rid of the Human Rights Act for as long as anybody will listen to her. So it's not necessarily a new thing. But I think it kind of comes, it's, it's part of the parcel of the territory of this onward march towards whatever weird free market authoritarian hellscape we're kind of heading towards under this under Boris Johnson's Tories and I think we should be really worried actually and as as although Stansted and the appeal is an incredible moment of joy uh in amongst a world <laughs> not that I think we should be scared for where we're headed and a government you know you mentioned just a couple of things a couple of moments where the UN have kind of intervened, but you know, they've been trying to intervene on, in terms of immigration for a long time. I think it was 2014 that mm-hmm. the special reporter 
for violence against women was denied access to Yarlswood by then Home Secretary Theresa May. What we're mm. seeing here is the transferal of these human rights abuses that have been that were like you know, very much cemented in under New Labour and under the mass expansion of the detention estate and the introduction of charter flights and the expansion of various different um, abilities to be able to implement immigration law outside of the very small number of people that had it previously under the Blair government. You know, that was all cemented then and obviously we saw a huge kind of swell of it under the hostile environment and then people like Theresa May really whipped it up by sending various things through different communities and, and like talking about migrants and then 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 we had this the migrant crisis in 2015 you've got people like Farage getting involved and then utilizing that and weaponizing that around Brexit and then all of that's kind of so you can kind of see how this has grown and developed yeah okay so two amusing things um one of which is darkly amusing the other of which is funny amusing Mm -hmm. that I found when doing the research for this interview there was one extraordinary sentence in a BBC article <laughs> about this, which was analysis from their legal correspondent. And it said, the Court of Appeals judgment in favour of the 15 underlines a fundamental safeguard in the law. You can only be prosecuted for something you've actually done. This was written entirely seriously, <laughs> as though this was something that perhaps people didn't know, like a kind of intricate element of British law that, you know, you could only actually be prosecuted for something that you've done. It's mad and incredibly depressing that that sentence has to be written in a BBC News article. Like, do you think this is, you know, part of a more general turn towards like authoritarianism and actually like a lack of respect for law and legal institutions? And don't get me wrong, I'm not like going out there to bat for um, a legal system, which is, you know, often actively militates against allowing people to kind of, you know, express themselves and and protest and, and do all sorts of other things. But like, it is insane that the government seems to be actively going against a lot of legal precedent itself at the moment. Yeah, I think, I mean, we've, we've seen that this government hates the law. They really, really dislike it. It's really quite inconvenient for them. With the activist lawyers stuff that you've heard from Priti Patel and Boris Johnson. Yeah. And, you know, and we when we talk about this, we need to remember the like very material, I keep saying material, like the very clear consequences of of what they're saying, which is that in September, there was a man who tried to get access to an immigration lawyer's office in West London, stabbed a receptionist um, and was trying to to, to murder an immigration lawyer, a fairly high profile immigration lawyer. And this is off the back of yeah. months of the government agitating and saying, well, it's these lawyers. How dare they? How dare they enforce the law? And we're just sort of like seeing, and it is, it, you're right. You can't, when you're sitting, sort of sitting there looking at it and thinking, what, what do you mean? How dare they enforce the law? That's the law. But like that's, that's why it's there. And, yeah, it's it's ludicrous that it has to be written. Mm. You know, you can't be prosecuted for something you haven't done. And yet, and yet, you know, how many, how many people have, how many people, you know, overwhelmingly, yeah. um, you know, black and minority ethnic people have had exactly that or have been prosecuted in a way that they would absolutely not have been had they have mm. not been black and minority ethnic. Like, I think that the law is a system 
of uh, <laughs> of rules that is there to kind of like entrench the power of the establishment and to you know, very much retain the status quo and to allow for continued profit and private property and blah blah blah, blah all of this stuff. But actually, it, as a sort of final safeguard, it it is there, and I think that we need to defend it. We need to defend our ability to be able to use what very small amounts of mm. uh, kind of recourse that we have. But we also need to sort of extend that and fight to extend it and fight to, you know, I think the, the Lamy review into criminal justice and into the racism within the justice system is is a phenomenal piece of work. And mm. I think we, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you kind of want to be like, you, you kind of you're fighting this increasingly almost Trumpian nonsense from the government yeah. around the the frivolity of law. So you kind of almost feel like you can't criticize it because you'd be adding to it. Yeah, you don't want to sort of be like, yeah, it is shit, but it's actually shit for a different reason. Mm. So yeah, I think I think it just exposes the kind of the absolute the hilarity and the stupidity of everything that's going on at the moment. Another fun piece of information that I found when I was researching for this interview was reading another BBC article and there's a big picture at the top with what looks like the whole group. So I was scanning the picture trying to find you and then I couldn't see you. But I looked down at the caption which said, the Stansted 15 tried to stop an aircraft being used to deport people to Africa. Brackets. One of the 15 did not make the photo call in time. (laughs) (laughs) And that was you, wasn't it? Okay, okay, okay. So, right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, So we, (laughs) most of the other 15 kind of stayed in Chelmsford. Um, We were were put up by Quakers who were incredible in their generosity both in terms of like providing us with home and food, but also in like their support for us throughout the whole trial. Um, mm. So most of the 15 sort of stayed in in and around Chelmsford. I didn't because I was just like, it just felt too weird and too much like I was giving up my life, my ability mm. to be able to just sort of like totter down to Dalston and be silly. <laughs> <Dorsten Superstore. laughs> um, and so I didn't. So most of, most people were already in Chelmsford. I'd just like to say, before that photo was taken. And then I, like, maybe was slightly, I was being a slight princess and was like, I kind of want to be driven to Chelmsford <laughs> on the first day. But, Legit, I think. Yeah, I think, I think so it. too. If you're ever going to be able to throw, you're like, throw yourself around and to kind of like throw a bit of a tantrum and get yeah. driven somewhere, I think it's when you're like maybe going to prison. And <laughs> so I was like, I want to do that. And then... Um, my pal got a car, which is very nice of them. And um, but we had to, we like we won't be able to pick it up until like eight or something. And I didn't know. I swear that nobody told me that the photo call was at nine, <laughs> but they all swear that they did anyway. So we're on the A twelve or whatever it is, and I'm just getting phone calls like photo call, and I was like, how you? How dare you? Not without me. I look, <laughs> I look incredible right now. And uh, they went ahead and did it. So I was like, that's rude. And now, for annoyingly, every single article that uses like a collective picture of us has pretty much... I mean, there have been a few where they've got the ones where us coming out of court when we didn't get sent down. But most of them have been the one where I was like late <laughs> and arrived very late. Like there was still the crowd outside, but everyone had gone... All of the defendants had gone inside. So I just like pulled up in this car 
fucking this like big trench coat and suit just like whipped the car door open in front of this huge crowd of people. <laughs> just the most like uh yeah. I would have paid to see that. I bet you look <laughs> so glamorous. I I I was in like a real because I was like stressed that we were late and I was like, I'm not gonna be able to help to have a cigarette. So I was sort of like getting out, lighting my cigarette as I go. In my head, it's really sort of like everything's flowing and like I it's like really glamorous and it's, it's probably just me sort of like trying to put my coat on on how <laughs> falling out but yeah uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed seeing that picture although the male did run with my ex-terrorist picture for a while on their front page yeah I saw that that was good <laughs> yeah you look good <laughs> thank you as always and on that note <laughs> we are going to end the show so thank you so much ben for joining me on a world to win thank you so much for having me Try to win a world.